If you're a massive middle-distance nerd like myself, you'll have known Courtney Freerich when she lined up in London for the women's 3,000m steeplechase final last summer. NCAA champion and record holder in this event, four of the ten fastest times in US collegiate history, cross-country champion with the New Mexico Lobos whilst at university, 11th over the chase in Rio, second at the USA Outdoor Champs this and last year, mixing it with Emma Coburn, Colleen Quigley, Steph Garcia and Leah O'Connor. I'd chatted her once for Athletics Weekly and we'd frequently discussed her guesting on this very pod. But if you're less of a nerd, or perhaps the hammer, triple jump or 20km race walk is your specialist area of interest, she might have gone unnoticed, surrounded as she was by some of the quickest women in history. Nine minutes and 3.77 seconds later and Courtney was a superstar, a household name rather than esoteric start list spot. Sticking with Coburn from the gun, she took over 15 seconds from her lifetime best, becoming the seventh fastest chaser of all time and a world silver medalist to boot. The astonishment, delight and completely unguarded emotion she displayed as she crossed the line before falling to the track with Coburn in celebration, the new world champion, has become one of the event's most endearing and enduring images. And I was chuffed to bits to learn that she wasn't too big time these days to fulfil that promise of an interview. I completely forgot about this until I thought about chatting to you today, but I actually interviewed you over email about two years ago whilst you were still at New Mexico for Athletics Weekly. I spoke to yourself and Rona and Alice and Sophie and a couple of the other Lobos. And you just, yeah, and you just won the NCAAs. And then I was thinking about that today and I was like, good Lord, how much you have achieved in the time since then just how different an athlete and a person are you since I last spoke to you um I think I've grown a lot um yeah in those years and a lot of it I think is because of those girls that I was um able to be teammates with at New Mexico I think that I'd been kind of I think probably in a similar situation to maybe they were in before arriving at New Mexico either training alone a lot or um I just had a strong desire to be surrounded by, yeah, really strong teammates. And they really opened my eyes to what can happen when you're working with others towards big goals. And, um, yeah, it, it just put me on a whole new trajectory over for the next, um, yeah, two years since then. I definitely want to talk in depth about life as a Lobo. But before we do, let's take it all the way back to when you were just tiny, when I believe gymnastics and soccer were really the sports that interested you. How did your athletic career begin? Yeah, so I started gymnastics when I was three years old. Um, And it was just my life. I loved gymnastics and I started competitive training. They asked me to start competitive training at age five and I actually declined at first. um, Just because I didn't really know what it was but then started competitive training at age seven. And, um, I'm really thankful my parents didn't allow me to just focus on gymnastics as much as I think as a child, I probably wanted to, because I just, I lived for it. I wanted, I wanted to go to the Olympics, you know, and that's what, (laughs) that's what all little gymnasts dream of. And so I was playing, you know, I was changing sports with the season, sort of, I guess, you know, playing soccer or basketball, volleyball, all, um, really until, I got into high school, so um, until about 14 years old, I was 
constantly changing sports, but always, always doing gymnastics year round. That was the kind of the staple thing and did actually kind of dabble into running a little bit. Um, I knew, I guess that I had kind of a, um, I guess some talent in, in distance running, particularly in the mile. Um, I had broken six minutes. I ran five thirty two when I was 10 years old for the mile but wow, my God. <laughs> just hadn't fallen in love with it yet. I think part of it was just my heart was still mm. in gymnastics. And I'm really thankful my parents were just really supportive in letting me choose what I wanted to do, kind of giving me some of that autonomy at, at a very young age and picking what it was that I was going to do because I was a lot more passionate about it. I owe a lot to my coach from college, Coach Butler, for really allowing me to dream again and, you know, giving me those opportunities. And so um, I definitely remember getting to World Juniors and feeling a little out of place. You know, I think it was one of those like, oh, my gosh, I feel like I don't belong here. And But at the same time, I realized what an opportunity it was. And I just tried to learn as much as I possibly could and just soak it all in. Um, you know, A, you never know if that moment's going to come back that maybe the only team I made, you know, could have made. And I wanted to make the most of it. But at the same time, I was surrounded by girls specifically from the U.S. who had done a lot, even though they were, you know, 18, 19 years old. And, um, you know, Jess Judd was on the British team that year. And I remember watching her and just being astounded. And so I was like, okay, if I can just get any you know, if there's one thing I want from this trip, it's to take away bits and pieces that I can then apply to learn more about running. So yeah, it was, I think if there was, if there's one moment that I had to pick that was career changing, it, it it's definitely that because it, it opened my eyes to what was possible considering I'd, you know, been only steepling for six, less than six months at that point and really only been taking running seriously for not even a year at that point. How naturally did steeplechasing come to you? I know a couple of athletes, and I know you trained with Ruth Haynes when you're out in New Mexico, and I actually went to school with Ruth. When she first oh, gave, awesome. I know, we have so many bizarre links, the two of us, uh, just from me having done cross-country in the UK and so many <laughs> of them having flocked um, to the hills of New Mexico. Um so I trained with, uh, used to run with Ruth at school and I remember when she first dabbled with steeplechase, she found the barriers really tough and she'd come in with horrendous scabs on her knees sometimes. What was it like for you having barriers in the way? I actually found it to be a very natural thing. Um, I think that spending so many years vaulting mm. really allowed for there to be no fear running towards stationary objects that aren't going to move. Um, you know, like a hurdle is in a sense is a stationary object, but not fully because it'll fall if, if you hit it. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, the, the barrier is very similar to the vault and, um, yeah, it just right away, it, it seemed like it was the right event. Even in my very first race, I finished and I turned to my coach and I was just so excited because part of, I think why I'd shied away from running for so long was I just had never found kind of my knack in like, you know, my, my place in track and field. And that was 
my first exposure to running was track and field. Mm-hmm. And um, the steeple really opened up a whole new chapter for me, a whole new world of what track could be for me. So that was really, really fun. And just, um, I think it, steepling reminds me of gymnastics as well, in a sense, okay. when you're competing, because no steeple is ever going to be perfect. And that's, in a sense, as much as in gymnastics you're striving for perfection, it's still far from perfect. You know, there's going to be errors that maybe only you notice. Mm-hmm. And it's all about how you respond to that, those errors. Or, you know, if you wobble, you can't just throw in the towel and say the routine's done. Just the same if, if you hit a barrier or you take a bad water jump it can't rattle you then for the rest of the race. And so in that sense, I found it to just be really enjoyable because I, it, there was just so many elements that um, matched up with gymnastics. And so I felt like I was using things that skills that I'd learned at a young age and that um, maybe were a little bit unique to me to now help me in this new chapter of my life. I like the idea of it being a transition, yeah, and the use of those acquired skills rather than just something completely foreign and alien. So your first season, 2012, 1034.48 was your PB. And then if you jump ahead mm-hmm. just a year after your first, your freshman year of college, you took 40 seconds off that. I'm fascinated by American <laughs> collegiate sports. I think the idea of becoming essentially a full-time athlete at the age of 18 is one of the many things behind Team USA's success in track field and on the cross. What was it like going from your first season as a steeplechaser to suddenly being an athlete full-time to, you know, for all intents and purposes? Yeah, it definitely, it was, it was in a sense, it was me fully buying into being a runner. Um, I think that first year I still struggled identifying as a runner mm-hmm. I was a gymnast that ran and so for 2012-2013 I finally bought in and decided I was going to be a runner and you know I really I tried to learn as much about the sport as I possibly could and you know, I became a student of the sport as my college coach said I love that um which I think was important it was important for me to learn what what was good um what was out there and you know, and one of the big things was, and it, it's kind of crazy, like the dates are kind of mind-blowing to me a little bit, but July 9th was my prelim at World Juniors in 2012, mm-hmm. and Coach Butler didn't make the final. He sat me down after, though, and said I'd earned the right to have an Olympic dream again. And <laughs> that was, you know, that just really resonated with me because, you know, growing up from age seven, I'd had this Olympic dream that. I never came close to achieving, but it was always, you know, I have papers written from elementary school that if I could do anything, it would be go to the Olympics. And so to have a coach that I really trusted tell me that was super important and um, it really lit a fire. And so I think that that was one of the biggest things that changed going into the next year. And so um, I was just so much more dedicated and um just so excited to see where running could actually take me versus it, you know, kind of the previous year being like, well, running's going to help me pay for school. I, you know, I enjoy it. I like um, being a college athlete, 
and you know instead it was like I I want to see how good I can get I want I want to do everything I can to to be the best runner I can be and that was really neat that was um at that point was I learned Emma Coburn one of the athletes you placed upon a pedestal and thought you know what that's where I want to be Absolutely. That's lovely. Um, I still remember whenever I first was introduced to the steeplechase that in, in 2012, my coach had said, look up videos of Emma Coburn. She's, you know, she's the U.S. standard. That's, that's who you should aspire to, to be like, you know. Um, and she's done it in college, so it's possible. And so I would watch these videos of her steepling and I followed her on social media and I still remember the first time I towed the line with her and it was the regional meet in 2013 mm-hmm. and she'd already run, gosh, like 9.28 or something, 9.30 that year. And in that race, I broke 10 minutes for the first time. I ran 9.59 and she turned to me after and I just qualified for the national meet. I was ecstatic. And she was like, oh, my gosh, did you run a PR? And I just froze. I <laughs> remember thinking, oh, my gosh, Emma Coburn is talking to me right now. And just, like, barely mustered up, like, yeah, I, I, I broke 10. And she was so excited for me. And that's, you know, just 100% the type of person she is. Is She just gets really excited for good performances. And um, she's such a wonderful person. But, yes, she's been – such a role model for me ever since I learned what the event was and so um yeah I and then you know at NCAAs then that year whenever I was sixth she was so kind in the um um kind of the mixed zone waiting while we were to get our awards and things and just such a wonderful person so it's yeah it's been neat it's neat that we have her as as such an incredible person to look up to and kind of set a standard in the sport for at least the US. That is such a magical guess, yeah, anecdote. The world right now. <laughs> oh. That's lovely. And then fast forward for me to grad school in New Mexico. What attracted mm-hmm. you to that? You've kind of touched upon it already, but if you could elaborate upon that and tell me what it was like arriving and suddenly being surrounded by all these other internationals. You know, UMKC was it was a the perfect place for me to start my running career. You know, I met Coach Butler there. He was phenomenal. He was the – we were just such a great pair. He was such a, a wonderful coach for me to learn under, and he was patient. He was okay with the fact that I was only running 35 miles a week as a freshman and, you know, didn't – he never tried to push things too far too soon, mm-hmm. which was important, I think, since I was – coming from just such a different background than most into the college system. But kind of by the end of my last year at UMKC, while I loved the girls on the team, I liked going to school there, I just kind of outgrown, I think, the athletic department a little bit and was really in need of a change. And, um, you know, my now husband, Griffin, who was there, I think kind of sensed it too. And... I was going back and forth on what to do and then come to find out Coach Butler was taking a job at the University of New Mexico, which was a school that when I was thinking, kind of having all these thoughts, I kind of had my eye on. You know, they were coming off a podium finish. Um, 
They had just signed Rona at that point. I knew they had Alice and Callie on the team. Um, they'd had some good transfers, Molly Whitney, and a good friend of mine, Lindsay, who actually um, I knew from home. So it just kind of seemed like all the pieces were falling in place. So I decided to take a, a you know, a, a leap of faith and change every, not every, I was going to be really fortunate that Coach Butler was still going to be there, but, you know, dive into this new environment in a year that was super important as well, because it was my last year in the NCAA. It was the Olympic year. Um, so it was, yeah, it was definitely a big risk, but I felt like it was what was needed because I think you can only get so far on your own, but when you go somewhere and surround yourself by people that are better or just as good as you who have the same goals as you. It's just going to elevate you. It holds you accountable. Um, you have to show up every day. And so it was the best decision I could have made. Um, it was, I loved my program that I was studying at the university, which was so much fun. And Rona and I were in the same programs. We had classes together and I just loved going to practice with those girls every day because I knew how badly they wanted it too. And so not that I think of myself as someone who would slack off, but it the idea of not doing something never crossed your mind because it was going to affect the team. And it was – I didn't know what a, a team that had a chance to make nationals was going to look like because, you know, up until that point I had been – to five national championships by myself. And so I didn't really know what to expect with this new team, but it was the most amazing experience I could have asked for. Just every day running for each other, not obsessing over this goal of winning nationals, but just being the best athletes we can be. And I think it's a it's a testament to the type of girls I got to be on the team with too. And then just the coaches for having the ability to set up an environment that brings out the best in people. Was there ever a risk of becoming slightly complacent in the lead up to the NCAA finals on the cross? Because you had such an unbelievable roster. You sort of decimated every competition you'd entered. Mm -hmm. And then you arrived at this big day, the pinnacle of your cross country season. And you girls were all absolutely flying or did you really battle for it? And were you really aware of the competition? We were definitely very aware of the competition. And I think that it was Joe, Coach Butler, Laura, they didn't obsess over this idea of us winning. I think they only talked about it with us once. And so that was definitely, I think, a, a huge factor in it and that we weren't obsessing over this idea of winning. We were just focused on being the best team we could be. And... I think, you know, we were definitely aware of the target on our backs and we didn't want to let anybody down. We didn't want to let each other down. And I think too, um, it was, you know, it's, it's a unique thing to have had so many girls, I guess, transfer in, but four of us had, I think just been yearning for that team experience. And so we really wanted to make the most out of it. And we had, you know, so many girls who, had some team experience that were able to help it along the way as well. But, um, yeah, we definitely had all cylinders firing on, on race day at NCAA cross, just 
it was I've never felt such a strong desire for something bigger than my own success than that moment. And that's, I think, what everyone on that team would probably say. I think there'll be people listening to this who'll be thinking, why is Claire talking to Courtney about the NCAAs? You know, (laughs) she's a global medalist she's an olympic finalist why does that matter but knowing some of the girls that you ran with and having followed your journey and been so excited for you i think it it must surely rate amongst your favorite moments within your athletics career absolutely i mean it's 100 percent the best thing that happened to me while i was running in college um having the opportunity to know what it was like to to, to be able to train with that high caliber of a team and have success um, is just it's just one of the greatest things that I've experienced in my life. And like I said, I think it completely changed my outlook on what it t- takes to be a successful runner. Um, I think before that I'd convinced myself that I was better off alone, that training by myself was – what I needed. And, you know, I, I think I realized how badly I wanted to be part of the Bowerman Track Club because of the experience I had with New Mexico and that particular cross country season. Most people finish their university careers and go out and party, celebrate, maybe go traveling. I mean, I suppose you did go traveling because you went to Brazil, but how was it wrapping everything up, winning your national title setting a championship record and then also having an olympics your first olympics your dream since you were five i think you said to contend with it was an incredible summer um just more than i just ever could have asked for just that whole year and a lot of it like i said is just because of the people i was able to surround myself with and um you know after ncaa is outdoors I was coming off such a high, which was so much fun and an incredible moment, but you're having to then, you know, kind of turn and refocus because three weeks later was the trials and um, I actually had gotten injured at NCAA Outdoors and so it was it was a little bit of a trying time because it was one of those, like, I hope I can get to the, <laughs> to the starting line. Um, I had taken a heart or I'd kind of tweaked my ankle on a water jump and just had to take basically a week on the alter G and then just kind of force myself to run through pain. Oof. But I tell you what, if you want to know the type of person that Rowan Auckland is, um, I couldn't have gotten through those three weeks without her. Um, she at that point was just starting to run again after some injuries and, you know, we'd talked all year about wanting to be at the Olympic Village together and you know it was a hard thing I think for her having to reset that goal but it didn't stop her from she's just such an amazing person an amazing friend she stepped up to do whatever it took to help me still accomplish mine and I just can't ever thank her enough for that um because I know I was probably an emotional mess during that time because I was like, here I am, especially for my life. And I'm like running with pain every day. And um, I owe her a lot for that. She was just like 
I'll make you dinner. Um, I'm going to do whatever it takes for you to be ready to go on this day. And so, um, but that moment, so going back to dates, um, the dream, you know, we started this goal of making the Olympic trials, um, on July 9th of 2012 and July 7th of 2016, almost four years to the date, Mm -hmm. um, I qualified for the Olympics, which was was pretty amazing, and I think that it was the perfect ending for Coach Butler and I's time as coach and athlete. Um, and it's it's such a testament to to him as a coach and his ability to you know have an at like he just told me you need to trust me on these things. And um, there were times I wasn't I was never afraid to I guess question, but he always had an answer, which I always appreciated. And so. Um, I've been just so fortunate, I think, in looking over the last six years with the people that I've had um, in my in my life during those six years, particularly with running, that have been able to help me get to where I am. And so if that's just it's, – it's amazing the people you surround yourself with, like how much it, it dictates how things go. Couldn't agree more. Before we – talk about Rio I think now's a nice time to do this I spoke to one of your New Mexico teammates earlier today and said okay I'm talking to Courtney later is there anything I should know that I probably won't know from reading your interviews with athletics magazines or with state papers or all of the kind of standard media outlets is there can you give me a heads up on anything I really ought to be aware of Um, and I'm wondering if you can guess who this teammate was by their answer Courtney loves cats, just like me. She eats Fruit Loops for breakfast before a race and never at any other time. She was an amazing gymnast and so she's a beast at chin-ups and she can ace a single (laughs) leg squat like Emma and all the other steeplechasers. Finally, she collects Starbucks mugs and has a huge collection. Who do you reckon that might be? I'm guessing it's Molly because we were definitely the two cat ladies <laughs> of the team. Correct. It is Swiss international Molly Renfer, your New Mexico teammate. I'm fascinated by the Fruit Loops. Do you still eat Fruit Loops for breakfast? Just on race day. And I actually ate Fruit Loops the morning of the world champs. No way. That's amazing. Yes. That's got to be up there with Usain Bolt's chicken nuggets for unexpected race day food. <laughs> I know. It's. It's so crazy because it's, it's, you know, childish, but I had a good race one time after eating Fruit Loops, and so it's just kind of stuck. Uh, my husband, Griffin, brought over um, two little things of Fruit Loops for me to have, one for the prelim and one for the final, and it was really funny because the other American athletes I was sitting with at the table looked at me, and at first I was like, oh man, they're just going to give it to me now, like, what are you doing? And they were like, no, we just wanted to know where you got those. We want some. <laughs> so <laughs> Molly and Whitney were so cute. And for my birthday in 2016, they made me a Fruit Loop cake, which was really awesome. So That's they're amazing. quite the bakers, if you haven't. Uh... <laughs> yes, Molly is quite the baker. So 2016, summer of 11th in Rio. Is there definitely a sense of unfinished business when it comes to the Olympics? Yes, I... Went into the Olympics really with no expectations. Um, you know, it'd been a long year. I was, had you know, I was a college kid, and so it's 
it was my first, you know, senior international experience. So I didn't really know. I, I went in with no expectations, but left feeling disappointed. And so it's, you know, it's funny. And I think that that's probably very typical of anyone who um, has that strong desire to keep going and getting better. Um, and so once I made the final, I was just really excited to see what could happen. And then I really found myself resorting back to running, just really scared. Um, I kind of put all those women on a pedestal and just in my head had decided they were better than me that day and um, kind of left it to too too late in the race to really kind of put myself in the mix of of athletes that I feel like I should have been with. And, um, you know, sixth or 11th place, we were separated by four seconds. And that's not a whole lot of time. Um, And I was on the wrong side of that pack. I was, you know, the end of that pack. And um, so, yeah, kind of, and, you know, I was a tenth of a second away from top 10 and ran two seconds off my PR. So it was just, yeah, a lot of mixed emotions. But I think that I learned a lot. And I realized that the only way that I'm going to accomplish what I would like to try to accomplish, especially on the international stage, is going to be figuring out how to develop a little bit of a sense of fearlessness and um, run with, you know, really figure out how to put myself in races and not just rely like in college, I could, you know, kind of hang back and then blast the last K or something like that. And, you know, international stage is just, it's legit. I mean, they're, they're really, really good. <laughs> so you, Funny that. you have to, you have to get after it from the beginning. It's not one of those that you can just hang back and outkick everyone anymore. So was the tough experience of your first Olympics quite good preparation then for your inaugural season as a pro athlete? You joined the Bowman Track Club and it must have been very weird going from leading out workouts to, I think I've seen you mention in interviews that you were getting dropped a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I feel like I could, <laughs> I feel like I was probably dropped and or did not finish more workouts in the last year than maybe my entire college career. Wow. Um, yeah, which is crazy. And um, that was really hard. Um, really, really hard. Especially, I think I thought, you know what? I transferred into the best team in the NCAA and I handled it just fine. Um, I made the Olympic team. I was an NCAA champion. I was the NCAA record, or I'm an NCAA record holder. Like, I'm ready for this. But I, I really, honestly, I underestimated how hard it is to make the, to, to make the jump up. And I think that it, I, I still think to this day, it obviously was the right decision, but it was a very trying time because it was just, yeah, just constant feelings of, Am I, am I good enough to be at this level? If I'm getting dropped every day in practice, you know, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. But finally, last February, I was training alone for a couple weeks because I had decided to not do the indoor season and kind of started to realize, like, okay, because I was working out by myself and it's like I could never have done these workouts even alone last year. So... 
you know, yes, I'm making progress, even though I'm still getting dropped, it's progress. And I just, it's, it's hard to find the balance between respecting the fact that I'm training with some of the best women in the world. And then it's just going to take time to get up to their level. You know, Shalane and Amy have been running professionally for over 10 years. And, but at the same time, not constantly giving yourself that way out. Um, you have to be kind to yourself, but also make sure it's not becoming an excuse and, you know, allowing yourself to get a little bit soft and be like, oh, well, I just couldn't finish it because they're just, they're older than me. You know, you don't want that. So it's hard to find that balance. And, um, I think that just like, I think a lot of high school kids that go away to college kind of struggle at first, probably with the the jump into the college level. It, it, it's the same when you're jumping up to the, the professional level. And, um, as I'm, you know, I've talked with more, um, friends and teammates and other runners that have, you know, made the transition. I'm realizing how normal it is to have that happen. Mm-hmm. But in the, t- in the moment you kind of feel like, you're the only one going through it and it's, it's hard. It's, it's really hard. Um, I just, I'm really fortunate to again, have amazing, be surrounded by really positive people that, you know, talked me through it and, um, you know, were there for me on the good days and the bad days. And I think that made a, a really big difference. Do you have a, a mantra, a sort of mental breakfast of Fruit Loops that you say to yourself in those tough sessions or when you were being dropped, what was it that spurred you on to finish the workout and keep pushing right through to the end of that final rep? A lot of times, well, I kind of just focus on reminding myself that (laughs) you need this, you know, you, you need this to get stronger, but also just that if you can get through the bad days, the good days are just going to be that much better. And so, um, yeah, I'm not the, the type to just throw the towel in. It's like, maybe I'll stop looking at my watch or stop obsessing over time, but just focus on remembering that hard work is still good work. Um, and so, and yeah, I'm just really fortunate too, that I have really great teammates that are going to step up and talk me through some of those rough times. And then, you know, hopefully I can do the same for them if they're having um, a day like that as well. And um, so I I feel really fortunate. And, you know, I think that there was a little bit more of of them kind of, you know, talking me off the ledge (laughs) this last year. But again, I think it's because they've been through it before and they knew that what it was like to to be in that position and and they weren't afraid to help me through it and and clearly believed that you had what it took to come out the other side they knew that you had that ability so even when you were doubting it they had no doubt that you could emerge as a fantastic athlete or a rather an even more fantastic athlete because just to be in the Bowman track club must be the stuff that dreams are made of for a, a an athlete yeah yeah it's definitely one of those every once in a while if it's been a bad day you just have to force yourself to step back and be like it's okay like I'm training with some of the best people in the world and it's still hard work is hard work and um and and just one 
you have to constantly remind yourself that one bad workout, one bad run, one bad week, it just doesn't, it doesn't define you as a, as a runner or a person and how well you're running shouldn't define you as, as a person. And I mean, I've struggled with that. I think a lot of people go through periods of time where they allow how well they're running is going to dictate how happy they are just in overall life. And it's easy to, especially when running's going so well, um, everything's fantastic. And so you do allow it to be your source of happiness. I think maybe too often, at least I, I think I do. And, um, yeah, the last year was really having to learn to figure out how to find a good balance in that, you know, be happy about things going well with running, but realizing that, that it's, it's, that I am a runner, but it doesn't, have to define me as a person you've spoken quite a lot about fear and confidence and fearlessness which I understand you had temporarily tattooed upon your wrist for that final (laughs) in London I think it's this glorious silver medal beribboned elephant in the room let's talk about London I went (laughs) absolutely nuts at my desk at the OB compound at the Olympic Stadium watching that race because you know, even setting your performance aside, and I had such a case of attachment interviewer with you um, at the championships and again at Rio, but it was just an incredible steeplechase final. Lots and lots of people agree that it was their standout race of the championships. But I imagine for you, towing that line, with your coach having said to you, go out with Emma, go out with Emma, what was going through your mind and how difficult was it to embody that fearlessness? on your wrist? Yeah, it was, it was, it was a really big moment, medal aside. It was the fact that I put us, you know, went in with a fearless approach and took the risk to go out with Emma, I think was accomplishment, regardless of the result. Mm -hmm. Cause that was, you know, a year previous, that was something that I struggled so much with. And even throughout the whole year, I, I really struggled with being over calculated in workouts and, um, dropping off the pack if we were too fast, things like that, like completely just allowing fear of the unknown essentially, um, kind of creep in too much. And so I was really thankful that Jerry and Pascal, my coaches sat me down the day before the final and kind of gave me the race plan. They were like, we think you're ready to challenge Emma. And I was, I had been feeling really good in training and felt like things were finally coming together. But, you know, someone that's been your idol for five years, <laughs> it's scary, the idea of, of running with them. And so... um I was really fortunate in London to have my family there and to have Ruth there mm-hmm. with me that day. Um, and they just kept things really lighthearted and they, you know, were amazing in the sense that they just kept things so positive and so it kept me really positive. And so by the time that Jerry gave me this race plan, I just had this feeling that something good was going to happen and that okay, I needed to do this. And so, um, 
you know, he said the most important thing was that he was like, you can't wait until 600 meters in to go with them. Like, it has to be something you do right away. And so I talked about it the day of the race. I talked about it a lot with Emily um, Enfeld, who was my roommate and someone who's helped me a lot. I think just we're really close friends, but she also um, is just someone that I just immediately had a connection with, was able to open up to. And um, she's just been wonderful. And she was just awesome in helping me figure out the right cues or the right mental mindset to get into to be ready for this moment. And so um, I had I read a chapter of the you are, you are a Badass book about commitment and how a plan is really just an idea until you're fully committed to it. And and I like if you're not 100% – 100% committed to it, the chances that it's actually going to happen in that moment are pretty slim. And so I knew that I had to be 100% committed to this race plan by the time I stepped foot on that line or else I was going to have doubts or I was going to let other things creep in and it probably wasn't going to happen. And I knew that we had, you know, we'd gotten these these got these tattoos in Park City like a month <laughs> and a half previously. Um, they were the you know the metallic um, temporary tattoos that last for a couple days. And as soon as we'd purchased these sheets of tattoos, I w- saw that one. I was like, I want that one because I just I wanted that to be my mindset for for worlds. I wanted to be fearless because that was something that I had just been really trying to work for all year. And I had the quote, you know, be fearless in the pursuit of what sets your soul on fire. Yes, I know the one. Um, yes. So that was kind of the mantra going through my head. The entire warm-up, um, when I stepped on the line. Because obviously running is, is my passion. And so it's like, why shouldn't I be fearless? This is what I, li- this is what I live for right now. You know, this is... Um, what I love. And so why shouldn't I be fearless? And, um, you know, I trusted my coaches and everyone that was telling me I was ready for this and thought, you know what, why not? Um, why not me? You know, sometimes you see rankings or you see message boards or you see things people say, and it's, you feel like you're already being counted out. And so it was like, why not? Like, why why can't it why can't it be me? And why can't I do something great today? And um yeah, I'm really really fortunate to have people that believe in me and helped me to get to that point. Um And you really truly believed that. Even when you looked at the clock and saw that the first kilometer was three oh three or whatever it was, there was it never wavered. The only time I I for the first time in a long time, finally really just wasn't even paying attention to the clock. I was just purely running off feel, mm-hmm. which was something we really worked on in practice. Um, I'm 100% the type of person that's incredibly calculated and wants to run in super even splits. You know, the girls on, on the team kind of joke that I'm a metronome. And so <laughs> I often get picked. Like, you know, I paced on Friday because they, you know, they – they like, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty even runner. 
and it's a great skill to have, but that's not how, you know, championship races are always going to be and things like that. And so we'd really worked on me just running off feel and so really focused on feeling it out and just, um, yeah, seeing what could happen. And, um, I remember with, we were approaching the mile and I was starting to toggle a little bit, kind of, um, going back and forth and, for the first time in a long time, I just broke it down. I was just like, get to 800 meters. And so at that point, it was like 600 to focus on. And when we got to the 2K mark was when I saw the clock for the first time and really registered how fast we were going. I think it was 6.04. Yeah, you were flying. 6.03, um, something around those. And for a split second, I had one of those moments of, oh my gosh, what have you done? <laughs> but then it was just like... It was like, well, you're here. Like, why, why be scared now? It was, you know, it was, it was a shift that, you know, it took me a little while to have the same sort of moment in the Olympic trials, but that I found, and it was just like, you're on a great pace. Like, just keep this up. Like, just focus. Like, get to that, get to the 800 meter mark. So I got to the 800 meter mark. And I was like, just be super tough this lap. All you have to do is get through this one 400-meter lap. And then it's the bell lap, and anything can happen in the bell lap. But if you can just be really, really tough for this 400 meters, you're going to give yourself that chance. And you're a strong finisher. You know, that's something yeah, that you've I, got. I feel, yeah, I definitely feel very confident with my last 400. And so that's why I was just so focused on just getting to that point because – I was like, if I can get to that point, you know, maybe something will happen. And that was a piece of advice that Jerry had given me going into the race. He's, you know, he's a man of a uh, few words when it comes to race plans. <laughs> he kind of will give you, you know, a few things to focus on, but it's, it's never going to be super elaborate. He just really wants you to give yourself the best chance to be successful. And he left me off with give yourself a chance because you never know you might sniff something special. <laughs> and, you know, that's – I didn't really know what special meant because obviously going into that year I was like, yeah, top 10 is going to be awesome. But then it was kind of like, oh, you know, like I think I could get close to the American record. Maybe that's the special. Maybe I'll run a fast time. Um, with how fast people have been running, it was like top six would be a really great day. And I got to 400 to go in fifth and it was just in my head. I was like, this is the special he's talking about. And so it was just like, leave it all out there, this last 400. And for me, that means going sooner rather than later. Um, I can't leave it. I'm not like going to out sprint someone with 50 meters. So it was like, okay, I need to take advantage of the fact that there's still barriers because I think that's one of my strong suits is my form over the barriers is like, take advantage of the barriers, execute really strongly. And then of course I had probably one of my worst water jumps in years, but managed to stay on my feet. <laughs> so, and I just tell you what, the crowd in London was just unreal. It was just amazing to be surrounded by fans that were just so passionate about track and field and exciting track and field, you know, races. And so I think they propelled us to <laughs> to what we were able to do. Yeah, I think the crowd at London was something very special. And everyone I've spoken to who competed there concurs with that, that British fans are really good fans. Yes. 
Is there a part of you as a US steeplechaser, you guys work so hard on the technical side of things, you know that your barriers are going to be great, that you're going to have good form, that you're going to put in the work, whereas some of the African chasers, you watch them hurdle and think, God, you're such a talented runner, but the technique mm-hmm. just isn't there. So was that quite heartening coming into the last 400, knowing that at least technically you had the advantage? Definitely. Yeah. I, in, um, I think hurdling's always been one of my strong suits personally. And then this year we've really fine tuned things. And so I had a lot of confidence that I was going to be able to execute a really strong lap. Um, and we'd been working on my last 400 too. And so I knew that I could, you know, run a sub 70 last 400 and still execute really strong barriers, mm-hmm. not be all over the place or stuttering. So, so the last water jump wasn't was great. Really important. And you probably, obviously, you're well aware of that as you're going over it. But you emerge onto the home straight and you're second at this point. Mm-hmm. You can see Emma ahead of you. There, there must have been a party that was just ecstatic knowing that someone you'd looked up to for so long and someone who had been so supportive was on their way to that global title. Could you, at that point, even begin to conceive of the fact that you were about to become a world silver medalist with 100 to go? I remember getting over the last barrier, looking up at the board and realizing that the three of us had broken away that basically at that point I had secured a medal and that became one of the most emotional 50 meters of my life um because you're gritting it out because I knew that Hyven was right there Mm -hmm. um but at the same time it was I was starting to realize what was happening and I was starting to, you know, I, and to realize that I had done it with someone I had looked up to for so long was just, yeah, it was almost like overwhelming because there's just so much at, at once. And so it was just, you know, I, I feel like I'm, generally kind of an even keel person and it's it you know it's funny I after I won in CAA's outdoors my uh one of my now agents was like are you happy I was like yeah I'm really happy he was like okay you just I don't know he's like you're smiling but it just doesn't seem like you know like you're overly giddy I was like oh no yeah I'm like I'm happy Mm -hmm. and I you know I I burst into tears and it was just so you know just such an emotional moment and just I think even just so much more special because I was able to share it with somebody. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even though Emma and I don't train together, there was just this overwhelming sense of unity on the track that we were doing this together. Um, I think that the fact that my focus kind of was on, you know, running with her really just made the idea of running with the Kenyans less daunting. And then I think whenever I actually pulled in front of her in that last lap, that gave her a little bit of a second wind and belief like, well, I can do this too. Mm. And so, and I I think that, you know, with the Africans in particular, there's so many of them, they have such a large pack up in the front pack of races and it has to be comforting because I know it's so comforting stepping on the line with Emily recently or you know, almost every steeple I'm stepping on the line with Colleen. And that's very comforting to know that you have someone you train with every day right there with you. And 
you know, I felt that with Emma. And so I'm really excited moving forward with, you know, U.S. steeplechasers because if we have more in the in the front pack, it's going to be an even more comforting environment and this just greater sense that we're all working together, um, you know, for to accomplish things for the U.S. So you crossed the line. You had a little lie down with Emma, had a brief kick yeah. on the track. At what point did you look at the clock? Um... Oh gosh. I don't think I realized maybe exactly what time I had run, but I think I saw her time shortly after crossing. And that was whenever the moment of, there was just so much shock going on. Like, Mm -hmm. what did we just do? What, like that time we just ran? But I remember registering I think with what time I'd run sometime after we'd gotten up and that's kind of whenever it all hit and um, I'd had just like kind of that brief moment by, you know, cause she went to hug Aisha and I was just like, it was really, you know, one of those, what just happened? And um, yeah, and it, it's, it was really funny cause it shortly after I was just, it was one of those things that I was like, Oh, but I still didn't get the American record. But that, I mean, that shows you how my mind works. I was yeah. just elated, but also like, mm, I still got goals to work for. That's amazing <laughs> that in that moment you were thinking, room for improvement. <laughs> yeah. The, as you mentioned, steeplechase scene in the States. I mean, you guys left with three medals from the chase, which is amazing if you think about mm-hmm. Evan's achievement. Too. It must have been slightly bittersweet having your teammate and friend and such a talented athlete and Colleen not having been on that start line with you. And I think she handled that whole debacle so magnanimously and graciously. And I think she's, I don't know where she got that grace from because I don't know if I could have been as selfless as she appeared to be. Uh, obviously, I wasn't in the American camp, but I was so impressed by that. How have all of the U.S. steeplechases as a whole rallied around that amazing championship performance? Yeah, definitely. I, um, you know, touching on Colleen, I have no idea how I would have handled it as well as she did. It just, she was so... Um, just focused on like even you know the day after you know well there's a chance so we're gonna go through things like there's a chance and I'm gonna be there for you and um you know she still showed up at the race and just just she's such a strong person and um I'm excited for her you know moving forward because I think she has you know kind of like I felt in Rio I think she has a lot of unfinished business and she's kind of ready to show her her stuff soon and so and we've seen you know in in the other events what she's been doing so I think that it'll be an exciting year for her in in the steeple but I think that yeah as a whole here in the U.S. we're really excited about the direction we're moving in distance as a whole and in particular the steeplechase to come away with three medals is just such an accomplishment and particularly too in my group alone and I think it's exciting because it's I think it shows that we're on the right track of, you know, um, figuring out how to, to get things done and, you know, to be ready for the next Olympic cycle. And, um, you know, I know 
Evan, as crazy as it was, you know, to be disappointed with a medal shows you how far I think he's come and that we've come as in, in the event. Um, and so, and he's someone that I learned so much from this last year, being able to observe how he does things, how he approaches things and just, he's just somebody that he does things right. And he just really cares. He trusts the process more than anyone I've ever seen. And and that's something so difficult. You know, one of those, you get so fit for this one meet and then it's gone in two weeks. And it's just like, how, like, where did it all go? And he said that he's like, it's one of his favorite things is the process of getting back to that point. And that's amazing to be able to just love every step of the way to get back to that point. And, you know, it's not easy at all. I mean, I, you know, we all have our struggles, but he just really believes in, in the trust of the process. And so I've learned so much from him in that respect. And so I think that, um, to be able to, I think I'm just, and I would say Colleen probably feels the same way. I think we're really fortunate to have had, um, Evan and, and Emma kind of, break down some of those barriers to show us that it's possible to have them both medal at, at the Olympics and then to turn around and we have three medals now from worlds. Um, I'm hoping that we'll continue that momentum because I think that um, those two have really kind of started to pave the way for, for the U S and that's, it's neat to be able to, to learn from them. Where does your medal live? it's upstairs right now we just my husband and I just bought a house um, congratulations not too far from oh thank you not too far from the Nike campus so it's really nice it's been really good for my running because I can just run to to campus and um which is super nice and um so it's upstairs we have a bonus room upstairs that um I'm still getting put together but it's gonna have um all my like all-american trophies and some different awards that we have and so it it sits up there with all that stuff I'm gonna hang up my uniforms and and stuff I still have my turquoise uniform from New Mexico days and um probably hang up my that U.S. uniform too but yeah I'm really protective of it and it's one of those things that um kind of just Keep it, you know, I I guess I, the last six months now have been learning how to deal with, um, gosh, because it's six months to the day, isn't it? Is it really? Yeah, it is. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, we planned that well. (laughs) I just realized that because it was August 11th because Griffin's birthday is August 12th and it was the next day. Well, happy six Um, month anniversary of being a global medalist. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Um, you know, the last six months have been a lot about learning to, to deal with, I guess I would call perceived expectation, um, whether it's there or not, you start to sense that it's there, that you're supposed to put together these world champs, like performances all the time. And, you know, the reality is that it just doesn't, it doesn't happen all the time. And, um, so I think I've, you know, I've definitely struggled with a little bit, so, on some of those days, I remind myself of that accomplishment or pull out the medal and remind myself of what I've done, but also remember that um, it's it should give me confidence that I belong at this level, but it shouldn't, I guess, define 
um, me that I have to to put together that silver medal performance every time you know I step out the door to run. So it's you know it's a balance. Of course, <laughs> but it's yeah. I've three final things to ask you about if you've got enough time, Courtney. Yeah. Perfect. Probably the question everyone listening wants answered. What is next? It's a bit of a strange year for US athletes because we're all busy getting excited for Commonwealths and Europeans, but you won't be playing Mm -hmm. a part in that. So what is it you're looking forward to over the next 12, 18 months? Um, So I had opted to not run indoors again, just the three fifteen three and three k indoors is just still a little short for me, and so I did cross country last weekend, and then yeah, paced Emily um, on Friday, and so we might still chase one more five k time. We're still deciding on that, mm-hmm. and that's I guess for the you know near future. But the goal is definitely to focus on just more international experience in the steeple over the next year in preparation for Doha. Um, as crazy as last year was and that I, you know, I now am really fortunate to have, um, you know, a global medal. I still don't have that much international racing experience just because I only ran the one diamond league steeple last year, um, at Doha in which I had food poisoning. So that was, yeah, of course you did, didn't you? That was horrible. Terrible. Mm. Yeah. It was, I was throwing up the whole day before and, um, tried you know I was like you know what I'm all the way over here I might as well try to race and it was just kind of a disaster <laughs> but you know what everything happens for a reason and no race <laughs> the rest of the year was as hard as that one so that is very sunny <laughs> it was of good you. made me mentally really tough that I finished that despite running um you know as as hard as it was but um yeah so I really am excited to I think run most of the Diamond League steeples this year um, I really want to put a focus on, we want to put a focus on trying to make the Diamond League final, mm-hmm. um, since I didn't make the final last year. Um, so I'd love to, to get that opportunity to, to race in Brussels. And, um, I kind of have, would love to, to run the Monaco Diamond League steeple as, you know, as long as things are ready to go. Cause I just hear wonderful things about that track and that meet and, um, they have a women's steeple this year. So would love to hopefully have an opportunity to run in, in that steeple and, um, you know, maybe, maybe dabble into some 15s or fives. I don't know. I, I need to, as a, as an athlete, just to get, to get better, I need to get better at the flat stuff too. So I know that um, we do want to put a, a little bit of an emphasis on on working some on some flat racing as well because I think I have a lot of room for improvement. But um, yeah, so that'll definitely be the focus over the next you know six to eight months. And you know, I would love to contend for the U.S. title again. Um, got closer this year, but you know, Emma's always amazing and always shows up. So it'll be a fun battle, I think, this year. And um, and then hopefully maybe next year, um, would love to run World Cross. So um, kind of have my eye on that too. We'll see what Jerry's thinking. But it's lots of exciting things to come and some serious hard graft. I look forward to following it all. And I'll tell you what, I'll stick you in my Diamond League fantasy team this year. The lofty accolade that is being part of uh, your pace or mine, which is my Diamond League fantasy team. Penultimate 
question. The boys like to joke that I only approach women for these interview specials. And you know what? I'll be honest, I do, because female athletes don't get enough coverage in the media and women as a whole are massively underrepresented and there are so very many wonderful inspirational female athletes it's been a genuine privilege to speak to some terrific individuals yourself included and I always ask them who inspires them you've named and thanked a good deal of athletes so far in this chat already but I was wondering who that you've not yet mentioned perhaps really inspires you to be the athlete that you are today and the athlete you will be tomorrow definitely right now um well I feel like I could name anybody in my own group and um, give you a million reasons why they all <laughs> inspire me. But currently, definitely Shalane. And I think a lot of people would, would answer oh, that. Yeah. But um, she, to be able to work alongside her and, you know, who have been able to, to be a very small part of helping her along the way to New York was a really cool experience and just also to be able to have watched her go from heartbreak to um, just the absolute, absolute, like most, like the highest level of determination was incredibly inspiring. And it's also really neat to see someone who's accomplished so much, not just once, but, you know, over the course of, gosh, 13, 14 years, not be afraid to share how it is that she got to that level. And so I think that's just incredibly inspiring. And I think she's somebody who I owe a lot to, to as to why I was able to do what last I did last summer. She kind of, she came to St. Moritz for a week with us and the whole time was just kind of whispering in my ear, you know, Jerry's, Jerry says you're ready to go. Um, Jerry says you shouldn't be afraid of Emma. Um, you know, don't be afraid to go for those goals. She texted me that the day, the morning of the race, like, don't be afraid to go for that big goal. And, um, that meant a lot just because I know she, she's done, she's done, you know, things that I want to do and she's figured out how to get there, but to not be afraid to, to give back to us that in the rest of the group and just, you know, we call her mama Shalane because she's. <laughs> we're like we're like her you know she takes care of us and it's it's really really awesome so I feel really 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 lucky to be able to learn under to one under one of the best so yeah she inspires me every day I did my run this morning was able to run with her before she heads off to altitude so it was that was really fun and and she just always has such a positive attitude you know on runs and she brings the best version of herself to practice every day and that's you can't ask for anything else than than that from someone she sounds like an utter inspiration and it's only going to make my final question for you today courtney even more ridiculous and that is what is with the avocados the avocados yeah they are everywhere <laughs> you have avocado pajamas there was an avocado hashtag when you won the ncaa's like what is that so Gosh, in like September or October, it was right before the Wisconsin invite, um, there was this video that was going viral um, at the time on YouTube, and it was the avocado dance. It was this this like children's song, and it was talking about all these fruits and vegetables, and this dance song, it was like, 
um, form the avocado, form the avocado. <laughs> and and I had sent this, um, me, Ruth, and Rona have a, like, on, on Twitter and on Instagram and on WhatsApp, we have a group message. And, you know, it, that's kind of our form of communication is sending different memes or or tweets or things like that that we think are funny. And so it, it usually provides some sort of, you know, comic relief for everyone during the day. And I'd sent them this tweet and then our, our team just became obsessed with this, this dance because we thought it was funny and <laughs> we were just doing it all the time. And so it just kind of the avocados just became our thing. Um, and so now people will often give me avocado things because it's, it's just a fun reminder of, of a great, a great season and we wore avocado socks on the award on the podium which was was really fun and um so yeah I think people are always thinking of me when they see avocados so I had a friend send me an avocado birthday card and um yeah my sister got me the pajamas I have avocado leggings <laughs> and you know not to mention avocados are just really good too <laughs> they are indeed and if you get an avocado right, if you judge it right, it ripens into something pretty beautiful, which sounds like your last season. It's been such a joy reliving it with you, Courtney. Thank you for explaining the avocado oh, thing. You. And thank you so much for your time. It's been, God, it's been 75 minutes and it's really been fascinating and inspiring. So thank you so much for coming on the pod. I wish you all the best. And thank you for having me. I look forward to following what is yet to come. Goodness knows it's exciting. Mm-hmm.